I feel like I should avoid food as much as I can. I read that line from a woman named Dawn in my email inbox, and immediately I knew what she meant. She continued, I try to grocery shop as infrequently as possible and only buy exactly what I have planned to eat in one week. I have strict rules for my husband about what he can bring home, and he knows I am not messing around. Heaven help him if he brings Cheetos onto this property. It might be the last thing he ever did. But with all this avoidance, how can I ever have a healthy relationship with food? Is it even possible? This is all even more complicated by the fact that I know to eventually lose weight, some level of restriction is necessary. I'd love your advice, Georgie. Thanks for everything. Dawn. Dawn, you and food don't have to stay lifelong enemies. And it sounds like you're already thinking that your current setup of rigid food avoidance and rules might not be one you want to continue forever. I can understand wanting to be friends with food, but at the same time, having some boundaries to help yourself avoid eating excessively, which enables you to reach a lower weight in the future. Today's episode is all about repairing your relationship with food and knowing which boundaries are helpful to maintain for your own mental and physical health. This episode's for Dawn, but it's also for everyone else out there that just wants a healthier relationship with food, but doesn't know how to form it. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. If we feel like a person is our enemy, we can generally avoid that individual. Maybe we even cut them out of our lives and never interact with them again. To state the obvious, that isn't possible with food. Also, when people say that they feel like food has been an enemy, I understand that it's not 100% one-sided hatred. Usually, it's this tense mix of fear and desire. They want food, especially the really tasty stuff, but they also have some fear about eating too much or eating the wrong things. So it's an unwinnable war. Dawn's email describes this push-pull dynamic really well. And like many people, she doesn't want to just drop the rope and stop trying to manage her food intake at all because she doesn't want to gain weight. She knows that completely boundless eating in a world with ample calorie-rich foods will lead most people to accumulate excess weight. Yet she's also no fool, and she knows that trying to avoid and restrict food is a predisposing factor for a binge. The stricter the rules, the more likely a binge or an episode of disinhibited eating is to occur. Mary Claire and I help our clients find their way out of this mess all the time. How do we do it? Well, first we decide on the goals and values that a person has. Then we decide which parameters are helpful for guiding food intake and which ones are unhelpful. We keep the helpful ones and we try and set aside the unhelpful ones. Lastly, we look at the non-food factors in each person's life, which impact their relationship with food. A lot of the time, a person's relationship with food reflects their relationship with themselves their emotions, and even their relationships with other people. So why not upgrade all three relationships, right? Interestingly, the first two steps are remarkably similar for almost all clients. As it turns out, we have fairly consistent goals and values when it comes to food and the relationship we want to have with it. We all want pretty similar things. 
And determining which guidelines are helpful versus unhelpful is also a very consistent theme. Despite how different each person is, we tend to be helped by the same things and hurt by the same things. I'll give you some examples to show what I mean. First, the goals and values. Now, it's important for you to know that what I'm about to say does not have to be what you want. You might have very different goals and values for yourself. These are just the most common ones my clients tell me. I want you to know it's not some agenda I have for my clients. It works in the other direction. It's about what they want. Most of our clients' goals and values exemplify a balance between appearance, health, and food enjoyment. The exact weight that we place on any one of these can vary, but it's virtually absent for somebody to say they only care about one or two of these. An elite competitive bodybuilder, though, not a population I work with, would likely have to focus on appearance sometimes of the year and put food enjoyment completely on the back burner. But for most people, myself included, we want to honor all three of these values, appearance, health, and food enjoyment. If we don't honor one of them in some way, and we come up with a plan, which is a mismatch with our goals and values, the plan's going to fail at some point. Our values function to keep us motivated to do things which support them, but we won't be motivated long term to stick to any plan which is a poor fit with our personal values. It's kind of like making sure your shoes fit your feet. If they don't fit, you're going to get uncomfortable and kick them off at some point. Next we look at actual eating guidelines. Instead of the old thought schema, which for many people is all food is bad, eat as little of it as you can, we can reshape mental ideas about food, including recognizing that it has positive attributes. It's far from all bad. Food can be delicious and pleasant. Food is what gives us energy to function and do all the things that we want to do. Food provides us with nutrients we need to not get sick or develop deficiencies. I don't want to be anemic or get scurvy. Food can help us connect with other people as a thing that we share or give to other people in our families. Food can also be a way we show ourselves love. Putting in the effort to prepare food for ourselves is loving. Still, all the food, all the time, can lead to weight gain. So we want some guidance on how much, when, and what to eat. Helpful guidelines we can use are typically flexible ones which are not super strict. They feel supportive because they ease our decision-making instead of making us feel trapped or punished. They support balanced eating. Here are some of the examples of helpful guidelines you might consider using. I will try to eat slowly so I can more easily stop when I notice I'm full. If I want ice cream, I'll get a single-serve treat from the convenience store instead of bringing home a half-gallon. If I want to drink alcohol, I'll have water between drinks. I'll plan to include fruit or veggies, protein, and some healthy carbs in each meal. Sometimes I might just want the carbs, but a balanced meal will leave me feeling better afterward. I'll try to stick with one treat a day instead of having several. I'll eat at home most nights and bring lunch to work, so that way I eat fewer restaurant meals. If I'm not hungry, but I really want a snack, I'll try to find something else to do to distract myself and keep myself from being bored. So you'll notice these guidelines I just read, they're not extreme. More extreme rules actually become unhelpful 
partially because we break them. They tend to be black and white, inflexible, ignore our desire for pleasure, and set up an unhealthy relationship with food. They also often add layers of morality or judgment to eating, which really has no place in a healthy food life. Here are some examples of the rules which are unhelpful. This type of thinking can worsen a person's relationship with food. I can reward myself with a candy bar if I lose weight this week. Potatoes and bread are bad. I shouldn't eat them. I can only have X hundred calories per day. My spouse and kids can eat the carbs, but I should just have the protein and vegetables. I shouldn't eat any fat. I shouldn't eat any processed foods. I will not let myself eat for some hours of the day or on some days of the week. If I'm bad and eat a dessert, I should try to undo it by doing two workouts the next day. You might recognize these sort of food guidelines I just read as what many people instinctively go to as weight control measures. But research tells us they don't work. For more details on why this sort of thinking doesn't pay off, read Give Yourself More, my new book, which just came out last week. Chapter 4 explains in great detail how limiting food types or trying to stick to a calorie limit rarely results in anyone actually eating less. Said a different way, if a person gains excess weight over time, which is common, it's not likely because they allowed too many different foods into their diet. Shedding those extra pounds isn't going to happen from limiting food variety either. The real-life causes of weight gain include behaviors like developing a habit of eating when not hungry, absent-mindedly eating, consuming an imbalanced diet, lacking adequate whole foods in the diet, or recurring binge eating to alleviate emotional or physical discomfort. So guidelines which help us counteract these real factors which cause weight gain are the helpful ones. Guidelines which help encourage us to eat in line with our body cues, eat a wide variety of enjoyable foods, and reduce or end binge eating. And those are the strategies we want to keep. Lastly, I mentioned earlier that I like to discuss non-food factors in a person's life which impact their relationship with food. Their relationship with themselves, their emotions, and their dynamics with other people can all help support or distract from how healthy and balanced their relationship is with food. This is actually where individuals vary a lot. Chatting with a coach, psychologist, or counselor is probably the most expedient way to figure out the most effective adjustments you can make. But I have your ear right now, so why not share some tips right here? Here are three non-food things you can do to help your relationship with food. One, develop a wide array of self-soothing and comforting activities. This might include journaling, dance, yoga, stretching, reading, talking to a friend or loved one, working on your garden, or spending time alone to meditate or pray. Two, let yourself off the hook. We all make mistakes. What sets some people apart, in terms of better well-being, is the ability to view their mistakes as an inevitable part of being human, to make note of anything worth remembering from the mistake, and to move on. Often, disproportionate shame and guilt over a perceived mistake 
is one of the causes of distress which leads people to habitually seek comfort or numbing in food. There's no benefit to making yourself feel bad, especially if it leads to maladaptive behaviors, so why not just commit to doing your best, but letting yourself off the hook when your best isn't perfect? 3. Pleasure and fun. A moment ago, I mentioned having a wide array of soothing and comforting activities. And you can imagine how that helps our relationship with food, because we can be less dependent on Ben and Jerry or the Keebler elves to get us through the hard times. But we also need a wide array of things that inject positive emotions into our lives. Don't get me wrong, I love food, and I hope you do too, but it's infinitely helpful to have a broad base of hobbies, people, and activities to draw joy from and it will prevent you from leaning on food in a compulsive way, expecting it to provide 100% of the novelty and pleasure that you need. This is another topic that's really expanded upon in Give Yourself More. There's two entire chapters about how to build a pleasure-rich life. Thanks to Dawn for writing in with a great question. I'd love to hear from you too. Drop a line to georgie at nutritionloft.com or fill in the form at georgiefear.com. If you have a moment, please review or rate this podcast to help us spread the word. See you next week.